I want to talk to you today about building a marriage as we continue in our series on Ephesians. And this is probably one of those passages that unbelievers really hate to hear and feminists despise this particular passage. Some hard-headed men despise this passage because it calls on a man to love the way Christ loved. I was looking at a cartoon of a pastor who was preaching from this particular passage in a magazine that is written for preachers. And the passage, the cartoon had sandbags, pastor was wearing a helmet, there were guards around him, and he says, my text this morning is, wives submit to your husbands. And the next little cartoon, he had ducked down behind the sandbags. So I've asked for some of my prayer partners and our prayer team here last night and board to be praying, not because I'm worried about any personal attack, but because I know the enemy will resist the hearing and the receiving and the applying of these truths. Martin Luther said about marriage, and I think this is one of the most poignant, to the point, little passages that I've ever read out of Luther's life about marriage. If you know anything about him, he and Catherine had a wonderful, wonderful marriage. If you don't know much about them, it probably help you to know that Luther was a monk, he was a Catholic, became a priest, and he ended up, as you know, being the father of what we call the Reformation. He actually fell in love with a nun, smuggled her out in a fish barrel on a wagon. They got married and raised a large, happy, happy family. Luther wrote, married folk are not to act now as they usually do. The men are almost lions in their homes, hard toward their wives and servants. The women, too, everywhere want to domineer and have their husbands as servants. It's foolish for a man to want to demonstrate his masculine power and heroic strength by ruling over his wife. On the other hand, the ambition of wives to dominate the home is also tolerable, intolerable. I think the subject we're going to deal with is nothing new when it comes to men and women relationships. We live in a particular time, though unlike historically in the church, I can't speak for all of world history, but in the life of the church, we live in a time of marriage confusion, gender confusion. We live in a time where some Christians have been taught and had educated out of their minds such great and profound truths as the Bible is the Word of the Lord. I'm reading a very interesting book by an Episcopal priest saying one of the dangers of our church is that we have been educated that the Bible is not the Word of God, that Christ is not returning again. Very prophetically sounding an alarm to the Episcopal church because of some of the decisions that they have made. At Woodland, the Bible is the basis of all we believe and all we do. And when we have a question about anything, we come to the Scripture and we say, what does the Bible say? So this morning, what I'm dealing with are not just simply my thoughts. I can't help but share my thoughts from my studies. But I have really prayed, as I pray every week, that my thoughts will be supernaturally directed by the Lord and that I can give you the Word of the Lord, an exegesis of the Word of the Lord. And then the responsibility is upon you to pray and read the Word, reflect upon the Scriptures that I share with you, to determine, have I preached responsibly the Word of the Lord? That's kind of a mutual submission that we have to each other. I will tell you this, I believe with all of my heart that before I can be a good husband to Becky and before Becky can be a good wife to me, I must first of all 
be a good Christian. I must first of all be a passionate follower of Christ. Now that's important. That's not pious talk. It's the reason that I say to our young people, and, and I'm so thankful we have some young folk beginning to attend our first service. And that is, when you marry, you set the boundaries for how far you can go in life. You won't go any further than your spouse if you're committed to a Christian marriage than the person you marry. And so it's important that you marry someone that loves Jesus even more than you do. To be a passionate follower of Christ means that I've got to live a self-sacrificial life. To be a passionate follower of Christ means that I have to live a submissive life and a submitted life. And submission is not something we hear very much anymore in our world. But in the body of Christ, as we looked at last week, spirit-filled people, or excuse me, the week before last, spirit-filled people submit to one another. It's a mark of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You may speak in tongues, but if you're not submitting to others, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You may believe in the gifts of healing, but if you're not submitted to Christ and to others, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. You can jump and scream and whatever you want to call it and call that spiritual, but the mark of a Spirit-filled person is they submit to one another. And that's the context out of which Paul is writing. And so it's important that you understand this morning that these, these are pretty, and I don't like to use this word because all truth is deep. And sometimes when people use the word deep, they're just trying to sound mysterious. But these are deep truths. Because Paul says, and I was sharing with Pastor Corey this morning before the first service, man, the more I study this and the longer I live, now listen to me, I agree with Paul. Marriage is a profound mystery. It's a profound mystery. This whole idea and concept of marriage, loving as Christ loves the church, submitting and I can submit to you this morning that this is written to spirit-filled people. And Paul is not writing to the world. Paul is not writing to a culture. He is writing to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's keep in context. 20 years after the founding, this church was in danger of losing its place, of losing out with God, of dying. And one of the issues that they were asking Paul for help on was the collapse of marriage. Because in that culture, romance and marriage were two different things. You married to have children, you married to pass along an estate, but you had mistresses and lovers to have romance. And Paul says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Becky and I were in a world-famous hotel one time. The manager of the hotel was telling us that Francois Mitterrand, the president of France, had stayed there recently, he and his wife. He said, it was an interesting thing. He didn't sleep with his wife. He slept in his mistress's bedroom every night. But for all public appearances, his wife was with him. I began to follow Mitterrand's career after that. And when he died, both his wife and his mistress were at his funeral. You see, this is the kind of culture that Paul was writing in, and this is the kind of culture celebrated in movies. And it's not just a recent thing. It's something that's been a part of us. And the church is saying, how do we live out? Because what they would have had would have been the book of Genesis and the Song of Solomon and Proverbs. How do we live this out? And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us insight on how to build a successful marriage. I want that for my children. I want that if the Lord allows me to live long enough to see that for my grandchildren. And I want that for you. And if you want that for yourself, then I hope that you're going to just take good notes, pay close attention, and pray, Lord, open my eyes to behold things about marriage that I've never seen before. Amen? 
Well, stand with me and let's pray together. We approach these holy truths, Lord, knowing that we are standing on holy ground. Like Moses, we could remove our shoes, for this is holy ground we're standing on. This is your holy word that Pastor Corey has read to us. And now, Jesus, we pray that you will give us pure hearts and minds to be able to grasp, to be able to apply, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, live out these truths. This is my prayer for Woodland this morning. Would you fill us again fresh, filled to the brim and then overflowing with the Holy Spirit of God, that we may build the kind of homes that reflect the love of Christ for His church. Which in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Let's get started this morning. Well, there's a particular little phrase in Ephesians 5.21 that I want to draw my first point out of this morning. And the more I meditated on those two words, something became very real to me, and that is success comes from out of reverence. And you'll notice that the fill-in this morning is out of. I think those two words are just hugely important. Some people react to things out of fear. Some people react to things out of anger. Some people react to things out of joy. Matter of fact, you can often tell what the motivation that somebody is reacting to or responding with by the countenance on their face, the words they say, or what they do. You know that they're reacting or responding out of something. Well, when it comes to marriage, Paul tells us that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the word reverence there really means fear. It's a, it's a deep word. It doesn't mean fear like you're afraid of a, an abusive dad or an abusive mom or a bully, but it's the fear that comes out of amazement and awe and love. That word awesome is used in ways that it should never be used because when you're in awe of something, you're on your face before it. When you're something is awesome, you find yourself trembling in His presence. It's not that you're just necessarily afraid. You're just overcome with emotion, and you're overcome with passion. You're overcome with something. This is the greatest thing I've ever beheld. It's amazement. It's like perhaps if you've seen Old Faithful, and the first time you ever saw Old Faithful burst out of the ground and begin to sizzle and bubble and shoot way up, and you just go, that is just awesome awesome, or it's maybe the first time you've ever flown in an airplane and you got up in the sky and you saw mountains and rivers the way you've never seen them before and you were just amazed, or maybe it was like I was the first time somebody says, look at this snail under a microscope, and I thought, I don't want to look at a snail, a gray, sluggish, slimy thing, and then when I looked at it under the microscope, its skin was a rainbow of colors, and I looked away to look at the slide, and it was gray to the naked eye, but when you saw it under the microscope, it was a, just an amazing kaleidoscope of color, and I was just then filled with questions. Why? How? Why can't we see it with our naked eyes? And when we say submit out of reverence for Christ, we're just in absolute amazement. We're in absolute awe. Our God is an awesome God. Can you say amen? And so that's what Paul is saying. First of all, out of your, your awe, your amazement, your reverence for Christ, submit to one another. And you can only do that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The natural man, the natural woman cannot do this. You can't submit because it's just not in our human nature to submit to others. And the second thing is, if you don't submit out of reverence for Christ, then you start trying to use your spouse either to meet a need in your life or you try to use your spouse to be your security in life, and no one but Jesus Christ can be your security. Terry Rayburn, who is a dear friend of mine and the superintendent of the Assemblies of God in Peninsula, Florida, when he and his, his bride were serving as missionaries in Lebanon during the war, 
I remember one night I was preaching for them in the Peninsula District and we'd went out to dinner and I was saying, tell me some things about Lebanon and what it was like during the war. And I will never forget as we were talking that she looked at me and she said, you know, it was then that I realized that Terry was not my protector and Terry was not my guard. She said, when the bullets were flying through our apartment and shattering everything, I realized that God is our protector. God is our provider. God is our covering. And right there in a very beautiful restaurant in Florida, we began to rejoice and to thank God. You see, all of this works together, not because you're a good man or you're wife is a good woman, or I'm a good man, or Becky is a good woman, it's because we serve an awesome Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we submit out of reverence to Him. Can we give Him a hand of praise for that this morning? There are some interesting passages that I want to just call your attention to briefly here this morning. Paul says, submit as to the Lord. Paul says, love as Christ loved the church. I find a lot of husbands that are willing to die for their families, but sometimes I want to say, are you willing to live for your wife? Are you willing to live for her? Abraham Lincoln said it was easy for him to find men willing to die for the union. It was another thing to find people willing to live for the union. And then he tells a husband to, to love and to care for his wife as Christ cares for the church. Now, you need to understand, especially if you're our guest today, but we're going to go through this just as a reminder for this congregation anyway, I have three convictions about the Word of God. Number one, God's Word is learnable. You can learn the Word of the Lord. You can hide the Word of the Lord in your heart. God's Word is not something you can't understand. You can understand the Word of the Lord. Secondly, God's Word is livable. You can live the Word of the Lord. God's Word is practical, and I think the greatest sin that a preacher can commit is to make the Word of God boring or to make the Word of God impractical because the Word of the Lord is livable. You can apply it to your life, and you can live out those principles. And the third thing I'd say to you this morning is God's Word is lovable. If you love the Word of the Lord, say amen this morning. God's Word is lovable. We love God's Word. And what we love, we consume, we meditate upon. We, we don't allow it to lay on a shelf and gather dust, but we gather our families around it. Our, we as husbands and wives gather around it, and we read the Word of the Lord. So if God's Word is learnable, if God's Word is livable, if God's Word is lovable, then one of the things God's Word says is, for wives, this means submit yourselves to their husbands as to the Lord. Paul's referring, referencing back here to Genesis chapter 2.18. Let's look at that together as well this morning. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now the word helper doesn't mean apprentice. The word helper doesn't mean junior. The word helper doesn't mean inferior. The year before I married Becky, I was trying to earn some extra money while I was in college, and, and uh, I took a job uh, because I was willing to get up and be at work way before the sun was up, hanging drywall. I wasn't very skilled at hanging drywall. As a matter of fact, I wasn't very good at getting the places where the electrical sockets went and the light sockets went. I was just the guy doing the grunt work. That meant I could hold it up and I could drive a nail in it and we hammered it backwards like this just so you'll know I know a little bit about drywall enough to know I'm no good at it. One day Glenn, my boss, decided I needed to learn how to sand drywall. He came back in and says, you need to stop. You need to stop. You're going to ruin this whole house. Another day, I was the only one on the job. Nobody else was there. And so they delivered a truckload of drywall, and the guy on the truck says, where do you want it? And I said, I don't know. He says, well, I got to put it somewhere. I got to go. And I says, well, the biggest hole I see is right there upstairs in that double window. So just stick it all in there. They stuck it all in there, and all the drywall came through the second floor of the house and bought it down. I'm just telling you all of that to know I know what a helper is and I know what a skilled person is. <laughs> you see, 
when God created a helper, he was not saying, ladies, that you are inferior or that you're to do the grunt work or that you don't know what's going on in life. You are skilled in your own ways. It means that we are fitted spiritually. It means you're fitted emotionally. It means you're fitted physically to your husband. That's what a helper means. It means as a husband, I'm fitted spiritually and emotionally and physically to Becky. Elizabeth Elliot, who was the wife of the murdered missionary, martyred missionary, I guess I should say, and to the Aka Indians, Elizabeth wrote in her journal, the best thing a woman can do for her husband is to make it easy for him to do the will of God. And I can testify to you, after over 40 years of marriage, that Becky has made it easy for me to do the will of God. Becky has encouraged me to do the will of God. Submission is not being a doormat, but at times she's lovingly confronted me. At times she's lovingly challenged me. At times she has called me up on issues that I needed to be called up on because when you love someone, you're willing to confront them. And submission is what we're all called to do. It's the reason that I began this message in both services today with talking about spirit-filled people submit to one another in the church, in the body of Christ. This is not my church. This is not your church. This is Christ's church, and He is the head of the church. When he says, submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord, ladies, he is not saying your husband is the Lord of you. No husband is Lord of his wife. Only Jesus is Lord of his, of his wife. Somebody ought to give the Lord a hand of praise right there. Because marriage is just simply a microsm of what the church is supposed to be. Now, I want you to listen carefully because this is extremely important what I'm going to say. Paul is not giving marriage counsel to the world. Paul is writing to the church. Now, let that just sink in for a moment. Paul is writing to the church. I'm not looking at any other passages but I'm looking directly at this passage written to the Ephesian church. So ladies, I want you to hear me in particular right now. He is not saying that all women should submit to all men. He's not even saying that all women should submit to all husbands. He is writing to Christian women, spirit-filled women, they should submit unto their husbands Spirit-filled husbands as unto the Lord. You can't submit to an abusive man. You can't submit to a neglectful man. You can't submit to a man that won't take care of his wife or his children. The Bible says that a man that won't take care of his family is worse than an infidel. And this verse has been used as a hammer upon women by unbelieving husbands, by selfish men to try and beat them and cow them into commission. What this verse is calling husbands and wives to do is something that is wild, is something that is wonderful, is something that is thrilling, is something that is exciting, that is something that is deep, that is something that can only be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. This this is not a matter of legalism. This is not a matter of law. This is a matter of the Spirit-filled life where the power of God's Holy Spirit lives in our lives and we're able to submit to one another for the glory of God and for the advancement of His kingdom. That's what this verse is calling us to. And when it's used as an ungodly hammer to try and cow a woman into submission, that is not anywhere comparable to what the Word of God teaches about the beauty and the sanctity of marriage. You can't do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. There are some jobs you just simply can't do without the right tools. There aren't many MacGyvers around who can take a pack of juicy fruit gum and a rock can create a nuclear bomb. That only happens on CBS. But in real life, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit. 
where we discover this spirit-filled life that is beyond anything you could think or imagine. I submit to you, there is more to this Christian life than what we've experienced. There's more to being filled with the Holy Spirit than what we've experienced. It's time for us to quit settling for the shavings. We want the glory that comes when we live submitted to the Spirit of the Lord. And we can have that in our homes. And so it's almost like a firewall. It's almost like computer virus firewall that you have where Paul is putting this firewall up and he says, this is the kind of man that you should submit to. Of course, this is difficult because we live in an age, as I said earlier, of gender confusion, marriage confusion. We live in an age where feminism is way beyond the feminism of the 60s and the 70s. In the Wall Street Journal edition this weekend, there's an article written by a lady, a reporter in the Wall Street Journal, where she takes on the feminist movement because she says feminism just absolutely refuses to recognize that there are differences between men and women. There are differences between men and women. And those differences don't mean inferior those differences simply mean there are some areas in life that Becky is superior to me and there are some areas in life that I have superior skills to Becky and we combine those two together out of reverence for Christ. We make a couple that is undefeatable and indefatigable because God is more than able for us to accomplish His will in our lives. Can we give Him a hand of praise for that this morning? Becky and I both believe what Jesus said, that where two or three are agreed together, when Becky and I pray together, we're agreeing with our heavenly intercessor, Jesus. When we pray together, we are asking our church to pray with us, and we know there is nothing impossible. And it just always amazes me that people settle for less than that, or they think they've got a better idea for God than God, and they can jump ahead of God. A Christian marriage means that we mutually submit to one another. A Christian marriage means that we seek the good of the other. And sir, a Christian marriage means that you love your wife as Christ loved the church. That means sacrifice and serving. For Christ didn't come into this world to be served, he said. Christ came into this world to serve. Christ didn't come into this world to save his life. He came into this world to save our lives. Christ didn't come into this world to take something from us. He came into this world to give something to us that we might be born again. Christ didn't come into this world for the powers of darkness to defeat him. He came into this world and through the power of his sacrifice, he defeated the powers of hell. And I submit to you that when men love like that, there is nothing impossible to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. I have yet in my 63 years of life to meet a man of quality, a man of quality that has ever been threatened by his wife of equality. But I have met lots of insecure men that want to power up and say, you got to submit to me. If you got to tell somebody you got to submit, you're not in charge anyway. If I got to tell somebody I'm in charge, I've already lost control already. If I got to power up with a title, I've lost control already. And so, why don't you grow a brain? Let me say it again. Why don't you grow a brain? Get smart. If you want respect, you get it by loving and serving the way Christ does. You see, Becky loves me most. Becky loves me most when she's willing to confront me about my weaknesses, about my sin, about my failings and my shortcomings. Somebody told Becky one time, says, oh, it must be wonderful to be married to pastor. (laughs) Becky said, I nearly threw up in my mouth. She says, yes, he sleeps in a coat and tie and never wakes up with a hair out of place. (laughs) They looked at Becky and said, are you serious? 
We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And the worst thing we can do is not confront somebody about the issues in their life. You go to the doctor, he takes your vital signs. Or a nurse takes your vital signs. I preached a message about 15 years ago here at Woodland, how to lovingly confront. And how that it's a mark of love and a mark of passion when we confront one another about those sins or those things that threaten to destroy us spiritually, emotionally, and physically. It takes a husband and a wife to build a healthy home. The second thing I want you to see, and the point won't make sense at first, but hang on, is submit to one another's. One another's what? Let's first of all look at the Scripture. As the Scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined, circle that word joined, is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. It's one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture. Again, it's going back to Genesis and there's a very real sense in which we are united as husbands and wives spiritually. We become one. It's a mystery, but it's very real. We're united emotionally. We become one. And we're even united physically in the act of consummating that marriage and our bodies become one. It's reality that we become one flesh. We're two distinct people. Becky and I are still Becky and Dennis. We each have our own unique likes and dislikes and loves and things that we don't particularly enjoy, but we become one. I love the way the old King James Version put this in Genesis, where it talked about a man would leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. My marriage and professor, marriage and family professor in college called this leaving and cleaving. Leaving, Dr. Sharp said, was that lifelong commitment we made to one another. Leaving was when a man left his mother and father and he said to a woman, I make a lifetime commitment. And he says, cleaving? Well, that's where the sizzle comes in. (laughs) And most of us are all about the sizzle without the commitment. And the problem in our world today is that people become bedmates before they become soulmates, and they get it absolutely backwards. You shouldn't be in bed with anyone until you're married, and you shouldn't get married until you've gone through enough counseling and enough life together to know whether or not you can literally become one, because the fizzle isn't what makes the commitment. It's the commitment that keeps the sizzle in the marriage. Can you say amen? That's, well, give the Lord a hand of praise. That is just what it is. I'm amazed in this whole idea of oneness, of how sometimes nobody else can do this. Nobody, not my children, not my friends, but sometimes Becky can come in and just the right time rub my shoulders or just the right time sit down, but she senses, she knows, or just the right time challenge me. That, that moment because we've become one, or that moment when I can't put into words, and she says, is this what you're thinking? And suddenly she helps me clarify. It's that moment of oneness, and it's also been amazing to me as we've grown and we've raised our family. I've watched Becky be able to read the mood of our children and sometimes look at me and just shake her head or say, let me handle this, and how wisely. And I've noticed the different ways that our children would respond to us. And it's because of that oneness and working together. There are things that I bring to raising our four children, and there are things that Becky brought to raising our four children. But together we bought that, and we gave them a healthy home and a good home. And I have to tell you this, I could never spend enough time praising her or thanking her. I feel the same way about her that the writers of Proverbs 31 felt about his wife as well. And that comes out of this spirit-filled relationship. Well, what do we meet in one another? Well, first of all, we meet the needs of one another. Part of my ministry description as a spirit-filled husband is, what are the needs of Becky? They're different than my needs. They're, they're vastly different than my needs. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Let me go back to the drywall illustration that I was using. There were different men who were highly skilled in what we did and the big homes that we built. The particular uh, house that I was telling you about was in a place called Christina Park in Lakeland, Florida, where I bought the 
second floor down to the first floor. But there were men that were particularly skilled. And on when there was lots and lots of work, Glenn and his company, they could fly through those homes, getting the sheetrock up. Because every person was in the right place. And Glenn saw that every single person had exactly what they needed. And one time there was a piece of sheetrock or a whole big porch of sheetrock I had to do was 135 pounds. I only weighed 128 pounds. And I told Glenn, I, I can't lift this. And he says, oh yes you can. Let me show you how. And he got the right tools out. And all of a sudden, here was this, if you remember these old cartoons, here was the before picture of the Charles Atlas advertisement. I felt like King Kong slapping 135 pounds of green wall into place and hammering up there and coming back to the dorm that night telling the guys, I put up 135 pound sheets of drywall today. They didn't believe me, but I really did. But it's because I had the right tools. Glenn knew the needs of everybody on his team and in a husband and wife relationship we bring different needs into that marriage and that's why Galatians 5.13 says use your freedom to serve one another in love. I am free not to serve myself because that is slavery when you live in bondage to yourself. You are truly free when you can serve one another. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? That's the mark of freedom. It's the true mark of freedom. It's because all of a sudden, you're not looking for people to wait on you. You delight. It's your joy to serve. That's what makes ministry gifts or spiritual gifts so powerful. The second thing is, we serve one another's differences. And Paul uses something really, to me, it's just, it's like, how could you go there to illustrate this? But Paul does. And so I want to read Peterson's translation from the message of 2 Corinthians 7, 4. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. And all my life, I've looked at that passage. I have lots of commentaries on the books of 1 Corinthians because of my passion for Pentecostal and charismatic theology and what it says. I've talked to people like Gordon Fee and others about this wonderful book. And Paul is writing to another church, another church in a very immoral society. Has a lot to say about marriage in 1 Corinthians as well. But then he goes here, and I go, how does this illustrate? But what Paul says is that Marriage, whether it's about raising your children, whether it's about providing a home, or whether it's about your intimacy with one another, it's not a place to stand up for your rights. It's not a place to be served. It's a place to serve. And the greatest loving comes when you seek to give and please the other, whether it's in finances, whether it's in helping around the house, whether it's in raising the children, or whether it's in your sexual intimacy. Paul is saying, this is not a place to demand. This is a place to give, to meet the differences. Paul Ricoeur in a great book called One is Oneself is Another. It's an old book, and you can probably find it on eight books. But Paul wrote this in his book, when eros is mated with tenderness and fidelity, Authentic happiness and spiritual fulfillment follow. Now notice that. Eros is sexual love. When eros is mated with tenderness and fidelity. Fidelity means faithfulness. If you're an audiophile, you probably have invested a lot in high-fidelity equipment and high-fidelity speakers. One of the young men in our first service is a big audiophile. His home is just filled with the most amazing sound equipment. And when you listen to music in his home, it's like being there live. It's faithful to the reproduction of the sound. And so what Paul is saying here is that when, when tenderness is matched with faithfulness, you see, tenderness without faithfulness leads to a life of hurt and destruction and pain. It leads, like was recently in USA Today, in an article entitled, Drunkenness is the New College Girl's Excuse. 
college girls are saying, according to this writer in USA Today, that they can miss a class because they were drunk and still wake up and feel good about themselves. They can fail an exam because they were drunk and wake up and still feel good about themselves. They can hook up with a total stranger because they were drunk and still wake up and feel good about themselves. And she says, because of the excuse, I'm drunk, they can say, I'm a good girl. This is USA Today. I'm a good girl. You see, the difference between being drunk on alcohol and being drunk on the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit, it all comes down not to just tenderness. It comes down to fidelity as well. And faithfulness is what builds a home. It's what builds a nation. It's what builds a church. You say, Pastor, how can we do that in this world? I recently had somebody say to me, how can you expect to counsel a couple, listen to me, to love each other until death does impart? That's impossible now. There's, there's all kinds of immorality. There's this and there's that. And we sat down and I was talking. I'm saying you can't do it on your own. You can't do it until first you give your heart to Jesus. You can't love like this. And I said, I don't expect you to fully understand this until the Lord be begins to awaken your heart that you need Jesus. And when you begin to think to yourself, yes, what he's saying to me, what I'm saying to you over this cup of coffee and this Starbucks, when you start saying to yourself, yes, this makes sense, that's God awakening your heart to his need for your need for salvation because the kind of marriage that Paul is talking about is not the marriages of the world, it's the marriage of a spirit-filled Christian where we can literally experience heaven on earth. Can we give him a hand of praise for that as well? Say, Pastor, that's okay that you believe that. It's not okay that I believe that. If I can't base it on the Word of God, it's not worth the breath that I just told you. But the Word of God says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can build a marriage like this. You can do it. You can build a home like this, and you can raise children like this. But it means that we seek unity and not uniformity. I don't want Becky to be like me. I don't want to be like Becky. But we seek unity in all we do. We seek unity and not uniformity in the church. We seek unity and not uniformity in our careers. But it also means that we've taken our differences and we've turned them into assets into our lives. The things that are different about us. And then thirdly, this morning, we serve one another's glory. This is beautiful to me. Christ's love makes the whole church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk and radiant with holiness. And I, I read that, and this is in the context of how I'm supposed to love Becky. This is the context of how I will be the kind of man that Becky's willing to submit to. You see, this is, this is huge, and I'm really trying to be line upon line and precept upon precept here because this is so controversial in our world. Ultimately, and ladies hear me on this, ultimately somebody in a Christian home has to be the final arbiter when you disagree. Ultimately, in the Christian home, somebody has to make that final decision when you disagree. Now, a godly man will never just power up and say, you know what, what I say goes. You'll never say that. A godly man will never say, you know, we're going to do this. I don't care what you say, we're going to do this. A godly man will listen, and a godly man will pray, and a godly man will examine everything, and if they finally can't come to an agreement, then he has to determine, do we put this on oil? Do we wait for a while? Or do we, is it time to go ahead and move? Our coming to Michigan for our family was a great illustration about that over 20 years ago. I just could not see it. And for months we struggled and wrestled and Becky and I were not, first time we had never not been on the same page in our whole marriage. We didn't fight, we didn't argue. She wept, she cried a lot, she fasted a lot, she interceded a lot. My daddy ended up blaming her for us moving up here because she wouldn't stop praying. 
And then one day I was preaching a conference and just had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And, and take this for what it's worth. I know what happened. Brilliant, dazzling light filled the room that I was in and I knew it was the presence of the Lord and I dropped to my knees and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. I called Becky. I called the board and says, I think this is what God wants. Y'all had elected another pastor. I was like, God, was that really you? Did I really have this experience? Two weeks later, I'm preaching to about 5,000 people at the Opryland Hotel in Nashville, Tennessee. And the manager of the Opryland Hotel, I mean, we, I was confused. Becky says, you should have moved when I said so. I mean, she, she wasn't bitter, but I said, Becky, God didn't tell me. I can't move like that. And she says, I just knew it was right. Two weeks later, I'm preaching there, and I get a call. The manager comes, gets me, takes me to his hotel, I mean, to his, his office, and the pastor had resigned, said he wasn't staying. We ended up coming. God has a way of working everything out when you follow these principles and when you're willing to trust and to lean in God's Word. Does that make sense? And that's what I'm trying. You, these, these are impossible for people who are not filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what you want to do then as a husband or as a wife, you want to try and bring the best out of each other. You want to try and cause them. Now, I, I've been talking to married people, but I want you single young folks to listen to me for a moment because I just really got on my knees and prayed for you this week because I'm going to say it again. Who you marry determines how far you can go in life. And parents, you need to teach what I'm teaching you to your children. And so in your dating relationships, you need to start asking yourself, which direction is this person going in life? What are the goals they are pursuing? What are the dreams they are pursuing? What is your life all about? I mean, what is it that they want to be and want have those conversations? What kind of Christian do they want to be? Do they want to be a Sunday morning only Christian? Do they just want to go and play a game with God? Or are they intent on discovering God's will and God's power for their lives? Are they intent on growing for Christ? Are they an excellent student? Are they working hard in school to better themselves so that they can succeed and achieve in what God has called them to do? Or if they're to skilled trades, are they trying to always increase their, their skills and their abilities? The second thing Thing is you need to understand the difference is this person have balance in their life between accepting and rejecting because if you're accepting everything that comes along pretty soon your marriage is going to fall apart but if you're rejecting everything that comes along and you're always criticizing and you're always critical and you're always finding fault when you're with that person are they finding fault with the movie are they finding fault with the dinner are they finding fault with the with the church are they finding fault with the school are they finding fault with the preacher are they finding fault with their parents if this person is always rejecting then all of a sudden you're beginning to see the direction direction of that person's life. But if there is a balance between accepting what is good and pure and holy and true and rejecting those things that are unholy and impure and untrue, when Christ saved you, now listen please, when Christ saved you, He accepted you just like you are. Sins, warts, and everything. When Jesus Christ saved me, He saved me just like I am. He accepted me just like I am. But He has rejected sin. He has rejected rage. He has rejected pride. He has rejected lust. He has rejected selfishness. He has a balance of rejection and exception. And that's how you measure the direction of a person's life. Now give the Lord a hand of praise this morning. Christ loves us despite our flaws. And he fills us with his Holy Spirit despite our flaws. But he rejects the things that will destroy our lives. And then finally this morning, and don't you love it when a preacher says finally? <laughs> Some of you are thinking it don't mean a thing. <laughs> finally, a spirit-filled message. You don't have to laugh so hard, some of you. <laughs> finally, a spirit-filled marriage shows Christ's glory. That's the purpose of marriage. It shows the glory of Christ. Now, I want to be fair here because in our congregation, there are some spouses that are married 
to a wife or a husband is not a Christian. In our first service this morning, there was a dear, dear person who came to me just weeping and said, thank you so much. But their spouse is not a Christian. So this has helped me understand. You see, as a non-Christian, and I want to be careful how I say this, as a non-Christian, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, my life would be better if I was married to a Christian. And I've had people who gave their hearts to Christ or who married someone because they hadn't received proper biblical teaching on marriage. They married someone that wasn't a Christian. And they come to me, if I could just have a Christian spouse, then my life would be good. Then my life would be happy. No. What you're in danger of doing, now listen to Pastor carefully, you're in danger of making marriage an idol. Because Paul also clearly teaches that if you're married to an unbeliever and they are content to live with you, live with them. Because the model of your life as a spirit-filled person will evangelize them. Because you're showing them Christ's glory. Now, I'm not talking about an abusive man or an abusive woman. I'm not talking about a neglectful or an adulterous person that keeps running around. So that's why I'm saying to our young people, it's very, very important. You understand the purpose of marriage. And the purpose of marriage is not to fulfill you. I don't fulfill Becky. Jesus fulfills Becky. Becky doesn't fulfill me. Jesus fulfills me. And because we are two people fulfilled in Christ, we have a fulfilled marriage. And that's the key. And that's why, especially as a young person, before you get married, you want to settle this issue that Christ is going to be totally in charge of your life. And if you're not a Christian, and you're sitting here before I finish this point, and you're going, this makes sense. I I get it. This whole submission thing is not about a wife being a doormat. It's not about a man powering up. This whole thing about loving Christ, loving your wife as Christ loves the church, this is a supernatural thing. I get it. I want that. That's the Holy Spirit. Not, listen to me. Don't miss this. That's the Holy Spirit knocking on your door saying, I love you. You're getting it because that's Jesus awakening your heart to what he can do in your life. If you could just begin to get a picture, if you could just begin to imagine what your life is like without Jesus and what sin is doing to you, sin is our moral failures, our moral weaknesses, what it's doing to our nation, and if you could begin to get into your mind what Jesus would do for you when he washes away your sins, you become a new creation in Christ, and you are suddenly filled with the love and the joy and the peace and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, then suddenly you're beginning to get this picture of what salvation is. I'm telling you the most wonderful decision, the most important decision, the most powerful decision, the most life-fulfilling decision you'll ever make is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be what Jesus said, born again. That's not a political movement. That's a brand new life in Jesus Christ. Well, let's give him a hand of praise for that. You say, Pastor, why are you saying that? Because you need a God who is a lover. And when I read Ephesians chapter 5, I don't see all of these legalistic images about pounding somebody in submission. I see Jesus front and center. He is unlike any other God in the world. Not a God who demands something of me, but a God who loved me so much that he gave himself for me that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I need a God who loves me that deeply. I need a God who loves me that intimately. I need a God who accepts me just like I am because that that God of love can transform my life through the presence and the filling of His Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. That's what He's showing us here. And until, and until you submit your life 
to this God of love, you'll make a God out of lovers, you'll make a God out of sexual encounters, you'll make a God out of fear that you'll never become what you can be until you have these kind of relationships. But when Jesus is Lord of your life, you can build a home and raise a family. And as you breathe your last breath, you can look upon what God has done through you and your children and your grandchildren. And you can say, Lord, now I'm ready to depart. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ loves the church. I hate to be wrong with a passion. I like to be right. Anybody else in here like me? You're much more honest than the first service. I had to call them out. How many of you say, I really hate to be wrong? Lift it up high. I'm among friends here. First service, I had to tell them liars go to hell, and then all of a sudden hands started going up. I hate to be wrong. Don't I, Becky? I like to be right. We've been married 42 years? 42 years. I have learned in 42 years I don't always have to be right. I have learned that Becky and I don't always have to see eye to eye on everything. I have learned that despite our differences, if we stay united and filled with the Holy Spirit, we can face and conquer anything in the name of Jesus Christ. And so can you because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads with me and let me pray with you and then we'll do the growth work. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this rich passage written to a hurting church. A church, Lord, that was in danger of losing favor with you and losing its place in the community. The church that before they were taught how to have a healthy home, Paul spent three whole chapters in telling them about the greatness and the glory of God. And then said, be filled with him. Be filled with him. Daily be filled with him. And I pray over each of us that we will daily approach the throne of grace and say, Lord, fill my cup. Fill me up. Fill me to overflowing. I pray that you'll heal sick marriages. And if there are sick marriages in here, would you just agree with me in prayer? Let the Holy Spirit work. There's healing for your home. I pray for repentance and a change of heart and change of mind. And I pray, God, where there is a sick husband, that, God, you will heal that husband and he'll find his identity in Christ and learn to love like Jesus. I pray, Lord, where there's a sick wife, God, I pray that instead she will find her identity in Jesus and learn to love the way Christ loved. I pray for those who are married to non-Christian spouses or maybe those who are confused and they've recently come to know Christ and they're living with someone. I'm asking you, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you touch that lost person? Would you bring them to faith would you evangelize them through the life of this person, this faithful spouse? And would you cause them to see their need for you? And where there are unholy unions, that Lord, we will submit those unions to you and seek counsel and make the right decisions, especially where there are children involved. And now, Father, I pray for those who this morning, honestly, they just haven't committed their life to you yet. <laughs> honestly, they may not have even felt the urgency. 
to put their faith in Christ. And if this makes sense to them, I ask you, Lord, to help them to cross the line this morning. And if that's you, I'm just kind of drawing a line in the sand for you. You have a decision to make this morning. And you know you're ready to make it if you want to make it. That's how you know you're ready. You say, well, I don't understand everything. You don't have to. You just first put your faith in Christ. And as you begin to seek to know him, read his word and worship with others, you'll be just like the rest of us. You'll grow. So if there's this desire in you, I'm asking you to cross the line from your old life into a brand new life by asking Jesus Christ into your heart. Here's how you do that. Just pray like this. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that you rose again on the third day and you did this for people just like me and I admit that I don't understand it all but I understand enough to know I want to commit my whole life to you as much as I know how this I pray in your name while every head is bowed and no one's looking around, could I be the first person that you let know that you crossed the line this morning? If you did, would you just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ today. God bless you. I see your hand. Thank you, sir. Someone else? Say, Pastor, I'm committing my life to Jesus today. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, and you. I see your hand. God bless you so much. You can put it down. Anyone else? Say, so, Pastor, I don't understand it all, but I know I need him. And I'm trusting God for this first step of the journey. Anyone else? Well, can we give the Lord a hand of praise for these three people that have crossed the line this morning? Hallelujah. Well, how do we grow with this? What do we do with it? If you're married, or if you're thinking about getting married, why don't you sit down and discuss this question? And this is an intense question. What is God's ideal for us? If you've been married for a long time, what is God's ideal for you for this next decade? If you're retired, what is God's ideal? What does God want to do? Listen, if you're retired, God didn't mean for you just to play board games and shuffleboard for the rest of your life. We need you. God needs you. When he's done with you, you'll go to heaven. Don't sit there and neglect the call of God on your life. If you're midlife and you say, oh, pastor, don't you remember? I got kids. We're working. I'm tired. We got baseball, volleyball, football, church. I barely have enough energy to even microwave a dinner. I remember. Thank God it's over. But I remember. But you've got to make time with your spouse. Get a babysitter. Get a babysitter. Get somebody to take care of your kids. Matt and Lisa will take them into their house and... He'll turn them over to Sam. <laughs> and go away for a weekend. Check into a hotel and pray about this. And what's God's ideal for us? Second thing is take responsibility for your total health. By that I mean your spiritual health, your emotional health, your physical health. Don't get it opposite. You're only going to be as healthy mentally and physically as you are spiritually. Grow together in Christ. Pray together. Read the Word together. 
say, how do I measure that? Well, this is how I measure it in my life. You, you know, I, I think it's a good measuring stick, but this is how I measure my spiritual and emotional health. If I get this right, my physical health follows. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Man, when I find myself getting impatient, I know I need some spiritual medicine. When I find Becky not joyful, I know I need to sit down and talk with my wife and spend some time with her. It's just a good measuring stick. You want to take responsibility for physical health. I mean, I want to be in good shape for Becky. I mean, I don't want to die and somebody else marry her. So, I eat right. I exercise right. I want to live a long time. You say, well, you're just jealous. You doggone right I am. I love my wife. And I want to be full of energy and passion. The fire don't die when you pass 60. So you want to take responsibility for your health. Third thing is you want to invest your best time. Your best time and your best energy in your marriage. If you'll give your marriage your best time, you'll keep the sizzle from fizzling. But if you don't give it your best time, your marriage is going to suffer. And then finally, do what the Ephesians did. They asked Paul for help. Help us to understand what a Christian marriage is. If you're having problems in your marriage, ask for help. Ask your small group leader. Ask a respected, mature Christian. See one of the pastors. If you've got real intense problems, I know some good counselors we can connect you with. And then finally, protect your marriage with boundaries. There are some things that I just don't do and Becky just doesn't do because we're going to protect our marriage. We're going to protect it with boundaries. And by putting those boundaries around our lives, then we've never, ever, ever had to be insecure. I got asked that question this week. It says, how have you protected your marriage? And so I just kind of went through. Becky was in Georgia. And I said, can I tell you one of the benefits of a spirit-filled marriage? I've never had to worry about the faithfulness of my wife. My wife has never had to worry about my faithfulness to her. Because there are boundaries in our marriage we just don't cross. Because they make for longevity and happiness. Amen? I love you so much. And this is my prayer for you this week. That God will bless you with the fullness of the Holy Spirit that you might discover this wild and blessed dream of what a spirit-filled marriage really looks like. God bless you.